Hello friends, welcome back. My name is Jeremy McCandless and welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this project is for you and I together to work through the entire Bible over however long it takes, but we're going to do it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This is our third day in season seven in the book of Leviticus when we're considering these offerings. And this one, the one we're looking at today, covers the entire 17 verses of Leviticus 3, There's a link to the scriptures contained within the episode notes on the podcast website at Buzzsprout. By way of introduction, I'd just like to say that about the age of seven or eight, I stated to my parents that I was going to read the entire Bible starting that day and reading it all the way through to the end. Well, the first thing that happened on day two or three, I think it was, I hit this long list of names in Genesis chapter five, and I couldn't even pronounce them. And I gave up. A few months later, I tried again, and this time I made it past the long list of names and got all the way to the building of the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, and then I crashed and burned again. Then maybe about a year again after that, I think it was a new resolution, I tried again, and this time I got a bit further, but then I hit this, the book of Leviticus, and boy did I hit it hard. I started talking about these, all these sacrifices and offerings and I think I got all mixed up amongst the turtle doves. Well, I'm all grown up now and so are you and here we are back again. And I'm asking the same question I asked then as a child. What is going on here with all these offerings? What is the road trying to tell us? So welcome to another, I hope, enlightening episode in our journey through this rich and profound book of Leviticus and today's episode we're going to look at the fellowship offering. So we'll dive in together and we'll explore the significance, not only what they are in the procedure, but the significance and the symbolism behind these particular offerings and this one, the peace offering. So welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. So what does this all mean? Well, one clue, a big clue, is that we know that these religious rituals, we'd call them today, have been given to a redeemed people. They aren't sacrifices that are meant to get people to a good place with the Lord. They are given to a people who've already been redeemed and saved when they were brought out of Egypt. Another clue to their meaning is found in chapter 2 when we were told that these are a memorial, a remembrance to the Lord. Now that's significant. That's a, a big clue as to what the Lord is trying to say to them and to us today about what these offerings mean. It's a case of God's saying, he's using these as a way of saying, these are some certain principles I want you to remember. Now, the first thing we encountered in the first offering was something called the burnt offering. And we discussed that when we went through that chapter a couple of days ago. And we talked about the fact that the people could bring a bull, a male bull, a lamb, or even a small bird like a dove or a pigeon if their means were limited. This burnt offering was something that the Lord wanted the people to remember. And I would suggest that the purpose of it, the point of the offering, the blood offering, was that the Lord wanted to establish strongly in their minds that redemption, salvation, is by sacrifice, by blood. 
So of all the things the Lord wants to remember, I think that top of that list, number one, because that's where it appears, is the fact that there is a sacrifice of blood for the atonement of people. And I think from a New Testament comparison, we can compare that very much to the Lord's Supper, which stands as a memorial, a remembrance to the same thing. In fact, Jesus says in all four accounts of the Lord's Supper, he's heard to utter the words, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus himself says it. So the one thing God is establishing here way back in Leviticus, thousands of years earlier, is he wants his people to remember that debt, that that his death was a sacrifice and that people were atoned for by a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Then yesterday we got into chapter 2 and there was a second offering and this time it was not an offering of blood. It was an offering made out of flour or grain and it was called the meal offering. I would suggest that this is the second most important thing that the Lord wants us to remember or well at least I think You can say number one is the blood offering and these other offerings are in the list of the main things that the Lord wishes us to keep at the front of our mind. So remember the first was redemption is by blood, but now he's saying that there should be a meal offering. So what is that going to teach us? Well, I would suggest that amongst other things, that it's probably primarily to do with the fact that we are offering the Lord that which we would normally do and prepare and even eat daily. So this is meant to be a remembrance of the fact that the Lord provides for our needs daily and we should in turn remember and trust him and trust in him for that provision. So far so good but now today we've come to chapter 3 and right off the bat it tells us this time what it is. It describes it as a peace offering. So what is a peace offering? If the purpose of this offering is to remember something and to remember and be thankful for living in peace, well, we need to understand what that term means. Well, in order to dig into this, we're going to go into the text itself. Not going to read every single verse today, but the whole, but the text will be in, the full text will be in the episode notes. So it's chapter 23, and I'll start today by simply reading the first five verses for us, beginning in Leviticus 3, verse 1, where it says... Now, this has been written to the person who's going to bring the offerings. And it describes them and says, When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of a herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the the entails and all the fat is there and on the two kidneys, the fat on them and the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. It shall be removed and Aaron's son shall burn it upon the altar, the burnt sacrifice which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. I'm going to stop there. This is the first division of chapter 3. The whole chapter is going to deal with three types of this one particular offering, the thing called the peace offering. And we'll go into that in more detail in a minute. But the chapter is going to be divided into these various types of sacrifices that would be acceptable and used in the peace offering. So it began by saying, 
that when the person who is bringing the peace offering, he shall offer it from the herd. And then if we actually drop down to verse 6, you will see that you can select something also from the flock. It actually says if he's offering a sacrifice or peace offering to the Lord, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. The reason I've bounced back and forward a bit there is this chapter is not only saying what the three main categories of offering that are going to be discussed are, and then additionally at the end of the chapter, it's going to outline a prohibition, making it a sort of fourth element in the chapter. So that's the sort of the the breakdown of it. But the first question we have to ask is, what is this term peace offering mean? What is it all about? Now, in Hebrew, peace had a very much deeper and wider connotation compared with our simple English understanding of the term peace, which generally refers to a state of peace and quiet or refers to a state of reconciliation or harmony existing between conflicting parties. And in Hebrew, it is that true, but it's more than that. In Hebrew, the word peace, shalom, is much closer to an idea of welfare which includes an element of prosperity. It signifies a sort of state of complete well-being in terms of health, even prosperity, perhaps, implying a whole sense of gratitude in acknowledging for the provision that God has given you in your entire life. In fact, in some of the early translations, this was translated not as a peace offering, but a sacrifice for well-being. Because that has more of, encompasses both the concept of the word meaning an element of fellowship. There's a community aspect to this state. It's something that's not just about your individual peace between you and the Lord. It's wider than that. And we will see it's going to be encapsulated by including in this ritualized form it ending with a communal meal shared after the sacrifice. The idea is that the offerer wants to commemorate, remember the fact that he has a general state of well-being and he wants to share that. And that arises out of good fellowship with the Lord and that should be shared with a wider group of people. So this offering involves sharing part of the animal that's being sacrificed. Part of it is going to be burnt on the altar, but Part of it will be taken home and shared together, symbolizing both fellowship with God, but also fellowship with our fellow human beings, which, of course, was initially earned through a blood sacrifice. In the opening verse, the instructions are given to take an offering from the herd, which, of course, is referring to cattle. But you will notice in this time the term bull is not made. It just talks about referring to taking a animal from the herd so this time it would seem it can be either male or female bull or cow now the distinctive aspect of the peace offering is that the one offering whether it be a bull or a cow he will share and eat a portion of it afterwards with others illustrating that the fellowship between that exists between him and god should be shared with other human beings other people within the community whilst at the same time recognizing that this second element is earned by and founded upon the principle of the first, the blood sacrifice. And moving through through those verses, we see again the procedure in detail, which I'm sure will sound familiar to you, particularly if you've been following along with us these last few days. The person offering the sacrifice again lays their hands on the animal's head, after which the animal is killed at the entrance to the tabernacle, and the priest again sprinkles the blood around the altar, 
a familiar process to the previous offerings. And in the next few verses explain the removal of these specific parts of the sacrifice and things like fatty parts, kidneys, are mentioned. And these portions are placed on the altar and offered to the Lord. But it's important to notice that they're they're meant to symbolize the offering of the best part to the Lord. You see, these ancient people considered the fat the finest part of the animals. So what they're doing is they're taking those parts and as offerings they're placing them on the fire and they're burning them. And that is said again using that motif of placing of creating a pleasing aroma to the Lord, signifying that he, he takes pleasure in this offering and it's acceptable to him. So that's verses 1 to 5, which describe the sacrifices, taking the sacrifice that has been taken from the herd, in other words, cattle. But now as we look through verse 6 and beyond, it talks about an offering, a sacrifice of a peace offering, this time taken from the flock. At this time it is referring to different animals that can be offered. Now to understand the structure of the passage, we need to notice that it mentioned first of all a peace offering sourced from the herd and now from the, the flock. And then it begins to talk about that peace offering. And again, it's from the flock, but this time again, it can be either male or female. No gender is specified. All that's said is that it should be without blemish. And if one is offering a lamb, it must be presented to the Lord as perfect. And this is the distinction that is crucial, not just here, but throughout the salvation and sacrificial history revealed by God in the Bible. Now, it mentions as from the flock, and it specifies a lamb, but later in the passage it will mention a goat from on the flock. So by doing that and going through the entire passage, uh, the entire chapter, we see there are three distinct offerings be here. Each time it's mentioned, it's either from the herd or then from the flock, and then it talks about a lamb from the flock or a goat from the flock. But the important point to notice, in these cases, we can confidently say it's referring to using a lamb, and then we'll refer to using a goat. Neither of the two other offerings are talking about a bull or a cow. In verses 6 and 7, we get details about the offering, and again, the procedure of the sacrifices described. And that again will sound familiar if been been following us along since chapter 1. The person offering the sacrifice They place the hands on the head of the animal, in this case a sheep, a lamb, and then they sacrifice that lamb at the entrance of the tabernacle. And again afterwards the priests sprinkle the blood around the altar. In verse 9 it elaborates on what should be offered on the altar again. Again they're taking the fat from the animal along with the kidneys and the liver and something described as the fatty tail. Now that may just almost pass you by, but it's interesting to note that the principal breed of sheep in Palestine in that era was something that was referred to as the Oriental, which is a term used then to describe the Middle and Near East, not Asia as it is today. But the genus of the sheep at that time was referred was called the Oriental fat-tailed sheep. Does that make sense now? This was a sheep which has an extra vertebrae which exists to that day. And the extra vertebrae in the tail enables it to support a large amount of body fat stored in and around the hind and the tail. The rump and the tail of this particular type of sheep can weigh as between anything between 40 and up to 70 pounds. 
So they're sacrificing this type of lamb and they're removing the fat, including the fatty tail. And this is a similar ritual of offering that took place with the bull previously, except again taking the, the, the fatty part of the animal, the best part of the animal, and offering it as a sacrifice. And again, we will we see in verse eleven that the priest burns these parts in the altar as a fire, as an offering made by fire to the Lord. So let me just pause there just for a moment and highlight again the two aspects of this offering. First of all, it's called the peace offering, suggesting not just peace with God, but a general state of well-being and gratitude for that. And then secondly, it describes that procedure again and reveals how it's done. But the important distinction to note is this is the only offering where the one making the sacrifice gets to take part of the animal sacrifice back for a meal with family and friends. Important, implying fellowship. The notion is further explored in verse 12 where it specifies offering a goat again and through those verses the procedure remains constant, mirroring what we've seen before in the case of the lamb, laying hands on the head of the sacrificial animal, again at the table entrance, and again the priest sprinkling blood around the altar. The procedure is again described in verses 14 to 16. Okay, so let's summarise the key points we've covered so far. We've braced through this chapter. We've discovered that this is a peace offering. And there are three types of peace offering, one involving cattle, which could be male or female, another with lambs, again male or female, and the third with goats, male or female again. But unlike the burnt offering, the peace offering has fewer restrictions on it. It allows bulls, lambs and goats. Now you've noticed there are no small birds mentioned in this and this is simply likely due to the the practicality of their small size and the inability to divide them first among the Lord and the priest and then give the person offering it something to return home with to serve as a fellowship meal. So that's the key there. And then verse 17 emphasizes that this peace offering is a perpetual statute highlighting the importance of continuing to do that. And then putting in the two restrictions that the person offering it should not consume the fat, another not take that away, the best parts given to the Lord, and also there should be the sprinkling of the blood and not the drinking of the blood, which is prohibited as an eternal statute. So let's consider the relevance of these offerings in the context, not only of ancient Israel, but how they might apply in our lives. You see, in ancient Israel, the idea behind this peace offering was simply of God creating a way to allow people to express their gratitude and make a voluntary offering and establish it by offering a vow, which will be explained later in the book of Leviticus, but a way of being thankful for the peace of God that they were experiencing in their lives. And then the benefit of that state of being was to be carried home, if you like, by eating together in a a fellowship meal, together with friends and family, symbolizing unity. Sharing a meal then as today is a gesture of commitment and loyalty, particularly in the near and Middle East. 
It remains a strong symbol of that today. Even today at our high days and holidays, we gather together as family and friends, often to sit down together and meet. So this is, of course, a typology, a type of that which carries on into the New Testament and into the future. And in the New Testament, if you think about the idea of the fellowship offering and illustrating how the believer has fellowship with God and on other believers based on the sacrifice of the cross, acknowledging that Christ's sacrifice brought us peace, allowing us therefore to have a meaningful connection not only with God, but with fellow believers. And of course we see that mirrored in the Lord's Supper. Now, very much in the New Testament, I would suggest that church attendance is just assumed. So what is meant to be our formal, structured, liturgical working out of these principles established here? Sure, we go to church, but do you just turn up and listen and sit down and passively soak up a sermon? Well, that's just one level of being part of a Christian community. Level two is you're meant to come together, sit and learn together, that's true, but then you're also called to serve. And all churches need to do that. You need to have some sort of program where you have, which gives people the ability to serve one another. So in the New Testament, the Lord is saying to us, in many places and in many ways, yes, I want you to remember, I want you to remember to do all the corporate religious stuff, if you like, but you must remember that after that you stand up and go home and don't forget to stay in fellowship with one another, to serve one another. There are some things as Christians we just cannot do alone. So if you know Christians or you're a Christian that is not in fellowship with other people, well, I urge you today to make a commitment to begin to address that, to begin to cultivate that in your life. And I do that and I suggest that and I urge you to go in that direction because it's one of the things that the Lord said he wants us to remember to do. He wants us to sacrifice, yes, but he also then wants us to go and have fellowship together, to support one another, to commit to one another, to encourage one another, to be and become more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's it for today, friends. Thank you very much for joining me. I do hope you find that helpful. If you are finding our times together helpful, then why not click on the subscribe button wherever you're getting your podcast from? That way, you need another, never miss another single episode. That way, you too, along with thousands of other people who are with us in this community, can make the decision to make the study, not just the reading, the in-depth study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of your daily life as well. And you can do that by just clicking and subscribing that way you'll get a new episode pretty much every Monday to Friday every day with the odd bonus episode at the weekend. But also, you can visit us on the Bible Project at buzzbite.com. That's where the podcast's hosted. You've got the entire back catalogue of over 600 episodes. But you'll also find there a full episode notes page for 
each podcast, as well as a complete transcript of pretty much everything that I've said today. And you are free to use those resources in whatever day is helpful to you or the community of Christian believers in which you serve. You'll also find places where you can connect to this ministry on the socials and even support it if you want. So with that all said, I'll just say thanks again for joining me and I do trust I'll see you back here again tomorrow as we work through the book of Leviticus together on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye now.